Doing it live on a Tuesday. Bo Bishop in the Cleveland area. Hudson, to be specific. And my good <laughs> buddy, Johnny Ginter, in the Columbus area. Where a, I, I was down there today doing the television show. Yeah. And uh, usually I drive down, I do the television show, and I drive back. Um, 11 Warriors Report, Spectrum Sports. Check your local listings. We had a great show today, by the way. Zach and Dan. Dan's a bit of a TV star. I got to say, the kid's doing pretty well. Second show that he's ever done with us. And uh, he kind of brought the goods a little bit this week, I got to say. Does he have um, any like diva tendencies or I can know. see those developing? Okay. I could see that potentially developing. Gotta rein um, that in. He's a little bit of a natural. I gotta tell you, he's doing a real good job. I mean, I've obviously done it for a long time, so I'm pretty comfortable. And Zach's done a lot, and he's obviously outspoken. And so, and Dan's doing a nice job having some information. We went from um we were doing the show uh like in chairs, and now we're at we're at a, a, a desk and a set. Nice. And we, we've gone from four people to three, which I think makes the conversation a little more fluid. I'd be interested to see what the what the people think that are watching. Um, but uh, and we've got some other things in store. So uh, look forward to season number two of the 11 Words Report on on Spectrum Sports and on that front. But that's not why I wanted what I was going to talk about is when I mentioned Columbus and I saw like uh, the czar tweeted out these plans for like luxury condos in downtown. And I was down there. There's like oh, yeah. cranes everywhere. High rise is going to take over North Market. Can and and I remember this vividly when I was in Columbus. Now it's been two years since I lived there, Johnny. But I remember like going into Columbus on a Saturday. Like I'm talking downtown, not the short north, but downtown. It's a it was a ghost town. There was nobody there. Like right. is that what's it? If if I went downtown now on a Saturday, is there? I mean, I see all these new residential places where people are living. Are are they living downtown? Are they out and about? I don't, you know, I, I think there are a lot more people living downtown. I still don't think they have the type of shopping, retail, all this other stuff built up down there to allow people to just kind of meander. You know, it, it's it's still basically short north. Like if you live in downtown area, like near the Capitol building or whatever, you're going to move up to the short north to do all that other stuff. But short north is pretty hopping. They've got a lot of cool stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it back like... You know, because I was in college from 2003, and I got, yeah, I graduated in 2007, and I got my master's in 2008. So for about five years, in that five-year period, the amount of construction that they did, I thought was just insane. And that isn't yeah. stopped. They, they, if anything, they've just increased it. And you were talking yeah. about that development that they're, you know, going after, um, you know, near uh, Nationwide and, and Huntington Park. And <laughs> it's crazy, because I just I went to a... Well, I went to a baseball game a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, wow, there's like nothing over here. I didn't think to myself, like, there's no way that's going to last because the Schottensteins and everybody else is just pumping money into that part yeah. of town, especially like Franklinton all over the place. So it's going to be, it's going to look real different in about five, 10 years. And and I, people in Columbus have been saying that for the last decade. So yeah. Cool. Oh, the gross incredible. It's I, the reason I ask is because like when I do the a radio show here on 92.3 in Cleveland every Saturday, and I come out of the radio at around noon and almost every Saturday, downtown Cleveland is just hopping. Like there's just people everywhere. Um, now, now a lot of that is because they have baseball games, right? I mean, they have the Cleveland Indians. So that, you know, 81 dates a year, there's a baseball game going on, but there's always a lot of activity and it, it really dwarfed anything that I saw in Columbus downtown. So I, I haven't been down there in a couple of years. So I wanted to ask you. They don't um, yet. Columbus doesn't have a thing, you know, I'm not super familiar. I've, I've been to one game, uh, one Indians baseball game in Cleveland, but yeah. Cincinnati has kind of the same thing with the Reds where you've got just tons of people just milling around, uh, you know, the yeah. riverfront area. But Columbus just doesn't really have that on the regular. And even when you've got a game at Huntington, it's still, you know, yeah. it, it's still not a huge thing because it feels so separate from the actual main drag through high street. So I think they're going to work on that and try to get more foot traffic in that general part of town. But maybe the, you know, maybe the crew or somebody could end up somewhere down. I mean, that's a whole other thing, but I mean, you just wonder yeah, if there's something they could get down there that would get some foot traffic. That uh, is an interesting problem for Columbus because the crew are, you know what, they're dead last, I think in the MLS in attendance right now. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame because when the new ownership, the, I remember when that I was at the press conference when the new ownership came and with the new branding and all that stuff. And the hope was that they'd take it to another level. Right. And um, from what I understand down there and I, you know, I, I have, it's not something I follow. So I, I would, I'm kind of speaking a little out of school, but I did use, I used to host the crew show, um, the weekly magazine show on the crew. And I got mm -hmm. to know the franchise pretty good. And, um, you know, it was always they, they had this this group of core hardcore supporters. But from what I can tell, it doesn't look like that group has grown. 
Um, it's kind of just stayed where it is and, and the new ownership really hasn't done anything to, and I don't know if that's, there's not person I don't know if it's personality driven, coach driven, play driven, but I I think they've been relatively successful the last couple of years, you know, since I've left, I'm not sure. I know they had a run the one year, but, um, either way, it seems like they haven't grown at the rate that they wanted to. And I think I, I was talking to somebody in Columbus today and they said, you know, really the location of that stadium is just so tough in terms of it for a casual fan. Like it's yes. not a happening, you know, like if it was downtown, live, you'd have a happening. Yeah. I used to live like two or three blocks from it. And this was, now it's getting a lot better. I think it's that area is becoming a lot more gentrified, but when I lived there in college, like nobody wanted to walk through that neighborhood to get to the, <laughs> to yeah. get to the stadium and back. And that's fine. But you know, I think if you're going to build something like that in that part of town, you've got to, you got to try to revitalize the area around it as well, because you can't just have yeah. some destination and then ask people to leave. I mean, there are big cities like Los Angeles and, and whatnot that have done that, but it's not Columbus. People don't want to deal with that, especially if you're going to a soccer game, you know, this isn't a huge, big cultural event. I mean, it's, it's kind right. of a niche thing even now. So yeah, they've, they've got some work to do on that front. I think. Yeah. I mean, if they put something uh, right downtown, you know, across the river from downtown, is that Franklinton, like where the, where Cosi yeah. and all that is, if there's space there or where this new development, frankly, is going to go. Well, then you would have it happening because then you're downtown right. and just walk to the game. I mean, that's, you know, you go to Portland, I've seen their place, which is incredible. And they have that type of atmosphere. So um, that, but I don't think there's any money for that or any interest for that. Yeah, I was and, about to say, who's so, going to pay for that? Cause you yeah. know, you're not going to put that on a ballot. Like nobody in Columbus. No. And Precourt's not, he's not motivated at all to stay in Columbus. I mean, I know he doesn't have any interest, the owner, but he probably has no interest in, maybe he does have interest in leading. I shouldn't speak out of turn, but you know, he's not invested in the city. You know, he right. just wanted to get into professional sports ownership and this was his way in. So, um, well, and if, and if you look at if you look at the stadium, it's it's one of the oldest in the MLS, or it is the oldest, I think, it's dedicated. It's the first original soccer-specific stadium in America. Right. So it's, think you know, this isn't... Pretty good legacy. Yeah, and that's awesome, but it's also, I mean... It's not it's intimate. It's not... It's not. It's, it's not, not built cool. for modern. It's not anything. Right. It's not built for modern soccer fandom, which is interesting to me, because I went, I remember when I was a kid and it was being built and I got to go see it as it was getting being like built. Like I was a soccer referee when I was like 12 or 13 and I won some contests. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Like I've never seen a a stadium dedicated to soccer before. And it's so funny how quickly it became out of date for how, you know, fans want their soccer experience to be. Uh, and they've tried to do things like adding the awning and stuff like that, but you're right. It's, it's not, it's such a nineties stadium and it just sticks yeah. out like a sore thumb like that. So, yeah. I mean, it's great for USA, Mexico uh, yep. but for everything. It's just too big for the crew. It's too big. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really plan on getting into a civics conversation here, but it, I think that's an <laughs> interesting, it's, though. it's an interesting conversation to have. Um, so let, let's, let's go around the college football world. We kind of have a potpourri. Um, we don't really have anything that's a huge story, but we have some things that are percolating here and there. And we'll talk a little bit about camp and some of the developments there. But I wanted to start with a more abstract conversation, and that is the story late last week of the media guidelines at Texas. And if you're a fan, I, I think one of the most overplayed things that the media does is present uh, woe is me as if the fan cares. <laughs> does not care about you. Many of you, many fans probably view you, me, us, the media, at, at the traditional old media, almost as the enemy. I mean, the fans certainly do. We oh, they certainly definitely view me that way. I know that. <laughs> but, they're, you know, like nobody wants to hear the media complaining because they don't have access to the University right. of Texas. Uh, but last week, th- this is why this is interesting. Last week, the University of Texas put out new media policies. And the policies put out, um, and this was obviously okayed and probably spearheaded by Tom Herman because, I mean, I remember covering Mac Brown and he had a pretty wide open media policy. So this is a, this is a Tom Herman edict. And what Tom says is, um, and his football program says is that, hey, we're going to do, you, we don't want you tweeting during the press conference. And they said, well, the reason for this is because we want you to pay attention to what's being said and not take things out of context. Okay, so that's a hyper paranoid uh, take hyper paranoid i mean that reminds me what happened what's going on in washington right now i mean it's just that's super defensive yeah that's that's like defensive cameras on the press conference that's pretty bad yeah it's pretty okay so what do you got to hide i mean that's the first thing you're going to say like what what do you have to hide if you're worried about this like that should be the least of of tom herman and the texas football program's worries is that uh the second thing they said is they don't want anybody standing behind tom herman when he does the interviews and (laughs) 
and I'm like, Harvey I'm thinking to myself, like, what's that? The Steve Harvey kind of thing. You don't want anybody yeah, looking, right. making eye contact. and Yeah, right. I don't want anybody standing behind me. So what I think that's about, this is what I think that's about. I think Tom Herman's hair is receding, like <laughs> mine is. And yeah. I think he's worried about turning one way or another and having a camera see a bald spot. Mm. That's what I think that's about. At lose, the root of it. Lose some of his youthful. Uh, you know, use some of his youth. Absolutely. I really think that that's what's going on. Uh, that, that it's receding in the back or whatever. I'm dealing with it too. It's, there's no fun in it. It's not a treat. I'm thinking about getting plugs for crying out loud. I mean, that's how desperate <laughs> these things get and how much vanity I have. So I understand <laughs> where he's coming from. But the look of this is just ridiculous. Yeah. Now, I understand that fans at the University of Texas probably don't care. Like if Urban did this, no fan at, at Ohio State's going to care. They're going to say, so what, you little babies, do your job. I mean, that's what most fans are going to say. Um, I also think that this is where we're headed. Um, we, we are heading politically, sports, everything, to where everybody just controls their own message. So that's a tricky spot for me uh, going forward. It's, it'll be up to us as people who are journalists or you know whether you, college football entertainment contributors, however you want to define us, It'll be up to us to evolve, um, yeah. but that will happen, and it's it's been happening for a while, and it'll only get worse and worse. I, I think I think there will be more and more attempts to control the narrative. I agree with that part of it. What I will say though is that Tom Herman only has that luxury as long as he is the new hotness. Like if he starts losing, oh yeah, if his team isn't good, that's not, you're not going to be able to enforce that. People are going to ignore no. that because you don't have the gravitas to to try to you know, make sure that everybody's on the same page with that. I I mean, I personally think that's a fool's errand. I think eventually you're just going to have to deal with the fact that you can't control that. I yeah. understand that you can limit access and practices and things like that. But to me, information is so readily available. And what's worse is that if you try to constrict the type of information that comes out, then you start to feed speculation. Mm-hmm. And that's worse. That's way, yep. way worse. Because then what happens is you have everybody who has a valid opinion because nobody has legitimate access. And that's really, really going to screw over guys who are struggling. If you're Urban Meyer and you're winning 11 games a season, nobody really cares. I mean, that would suck for us yeah. <laughs> a lot. But you're probably not going to get a lot of pushback from the fans. On the other hand, if you have a you know an eight-win season and maybe a crappy recruiting class, people are going to know what the hell's going on. And you can't tell the reporters, you can't tell people in that room that they can't talk about it because people are going to demand that they get as much information as humanly possible. Doesn't mean that they're going to be able to affect the outcome, but people want to feel informed. And so I only think that's acceptable and enforceable as long as you're good. And to me, that's such a razor thin edge to try to balance for an Mm -hmm. entire career. I just, I just think it's foolish. And I, yeah, the whole thing about Tom Herman, like getting, you know, getting to his uh, Whitney Houston stage, you know, where he's become a bit of a diva. Like, well, I, get it. I mean, you're on that stage, like you're, you're yeah. at Texas, but man, I, to me, that almost strikes me as, and we've talked about this, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about the, the, you know, the shade that he's thrown at urban and Ohio mm-hmm. state and Ohio in general. Um, I said this last time we talked about him. It sounds desperate. It sounds like a guy who feels a little in over his head and he's trying to control as much as he can because he's freaking out. It seems to me, and I like him a lot individually. Yeah, I'm probably probably the, I really like him as a human being. Yeah. Um, He and I have talked a lot uh, off the record. He is, uh, I really like him. And I remember saying when I first met him on the air in Columbus, the very first time I met him, I went on the air the next day when I was at the fan. And I said, that guy's going to be the first guy off this staff. And that's, this is before anybody really knew who he was, as that'll be the first guy off this staff to get a big job. We'll be that guy. Uh, Because he's just really impressive. That being said, he's coming across like he's not big enough for the britches. Yes. He's, He's coming across... Like he's the, the stage is a little too big and it's he's got he, he thinks he's got a little too much juice to throw around. And I, I don't know who's around him who can pull him back, but it, it just seems maybe right now that this is coming a little too quick. Now we'll see. It'll be about wins and losses and he's a damn good football coach. Uh, so if he wins some football games, he's going to have to win a lot of them. But if he wins a lot of football games, no one's going to care. Um, right. But it does it, like. I I don't I don't remember I remember I was at Florida when Urban got I was in Florida when Urban got hired and I don't remember this type of stuff from him 
like this type of paranoia and poking the bear. Like there wasn't any of that. Like it was urban was very nose to the grindstone. Let's get the job. You know, I mean, it just wasn't this type of hyperbole from him. So, um, and just kind of out of control, not out of control, but just bigger, making you think you're bigger than you are situation. You know, like you got to prove something first. And so it's, it's a little off putting, I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, like I said, it, it all, the only thing that matters is winning. If you go out there and you win 10, 12 games, nobody cares. But right to me, that's just not like, that's not a guarantee. It's never a guarantee in college football. I don't care who you are. You know, even Urban Meyer is really amazing and, and one of the best coaches ever, even, you know, Nick Saban, all that, but crazy things happen, bad things happen. You have no idea what might happen to your team or to your, you know, your staff or whatever. And, and, things can fall apart really quickly. I don't care who you are. And, and to, yep. to assume that you're immune from that and that you can start enforcing really draconian measures on, on how the media <laughs> reports your team, that will backfire on you so quickly. And, yes. the I, you know, the images that these coaches build for themselves really kind of fascinate me in a lot of ways because a lot of it is PR and trying to convince, you know, teenagers that you're cool and that they want to play for you. But I just think I always, whenever something like this pops up, I think about like Charlie Weiss and this cult of personality that was developed around this guy after like a year or two of success um, that just fell apart just as quickly. Um, That's something. The image that he built is like a quarterback whisper and the brain behind new England. And he he parlayed that into like $50 million in contracts. Yeah, you know, from Notre Dame and Kansas, I mean, just crazy. You know, he had the one start to the good year at Notre Dame, and they gave him a new contract. Like they were really convinced he was something. Yeah, and I looked, and it was always something where you know you kind of just looked at him and you just thought, really, <laughs> like you really think this guy is going to be? Like, I wonder what they thought. I wonder what made them think that he was. He must have just been a hell of a salesman, and I just never saw it. You know, from immediate, I never saw anything. You know about him but he really created an aura that's a great point from you about how a guy really created something yeah yeah. i think some people pull out the rings honestly and then the guy signing the checks get dazzled and they're like well shoot the dude's got rings he must be good oh, yes yeah and if you but well and new england's been pretty kind of good resume, since he's left yeah so <laughs> right so i you know it, it just fascinates me because i you know tom herman you know obviously is a really smart guy is an incredible coach um but you can say that about any guy who's incredible. Yeah. And, and so, like I said, this stuff has a really steep drop off when it starts to go bad. And you've seen that with tons of guys that I think people thought were like the next huge thing. And really, if you think about it, how many coaches in college football can you really rely on on a year to year basis and say their team is absolutely going to be like 100 percent amazing? There's like maybe five, maybe. Right. Let's do that. Probably. Let's go. So Urban Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney. Harbaugh is probably inching close to that. Yeah, but you know, but he hasn't like beat Ohio State, and really, you know, he might end up being less miles where he's really, really yeah. good, but he just he happens to coach in the same era as, as Urban Meyer. But that's exactly my point. Like the, the so short list, like, less than five, so five yeah. or less. You've really got to hope if you're if you're willing. My point, my overall point with all this, if you're the Texas administration, you really got to hope to put up with all this crap that Tom Herman is going to be one of those five dudes. Yeah, um, because if he's not, then you're you've wasted a lot of time and you've made a lot of people really angry for really no reason. Um, yep. And Tom Herman's got to realize that himself, too, because you don't want to be a Charlie Weiss and then no. make an impact for a couple of years and then get bounced and collect paychecks at the end of time. But then you become a joke. So, yeah, I, I think he'll learn from this and adapt. I, I don't know how you I just don't. And I don't see the point of it. I just don't. Yeah, um, right. You know. We, you mentioned the five coaches who've won a lot. Uh, Dabo Sweeney is one of those guys, the defending national champion. And this was, you know, this is, you can't criticize. He's right. I mean, he, he, but it was something to admit it publicly. So last week he's doing some media yeah. and he said that he's watching the film and he, he went into the, after watching the film on Ohio State and the Big Ten and he, he makes these comments about how, you know, the, they were trying to get two Big Ten teams in with Ohio State and Michigan and all that stuff. He goes, I went and looked at the film and I went and talked to our guys. He said, they're in trouble, boys. And, and he backed it up. I mean, they won 31 to nothing. It is what it is. He's beaten urban twice now in bowl games. So that is what it is. Uh, when urban's been at Ohio state, we can't dispute it. Uh, he, he has put his money where his mouth was or vice versa, however you want to phrase it. But 
um, it was a, I was surprised by the comment. I was surprised that he went public with it um, to kind of go at the Big Ten and, and Ohio State. And then I thought about it, and I thought, if you think about what's been happening in recruiting lately, mm-hmm. yeah, and you thought about what Urban and because Georgia is Clemson territory. I mean, they they do well in Georgia, and if you think what Urban and Harbaugh have done in the South, and even James Franklin, I was about to say, yeah. They've Absolutely. all been going to the South to poach. And this was this is a man who is fighting for his recruiting life. And he recruits really well. Clemson recruits it at a high, high level. Them in Florida State, Alabama, they're better than everybody else down there. Um, but this seems like a man who's trying to hold on to his recruiting territory once I, once I gave it the full perspective. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I mean, you've got now three guys in the Big Ten who are starting to and and really, you can look at some of these other guys like that are starting to wise get wise to the game, like D'Antonio, who are really starting to maybe spread out a little bit. Um, but yeah, you've you've definitely got some northern teams that are starting to encroach big time on southern territory, and that was that was always a problem that Alabama and Florida and everybody else had to deal with. But now, when you're talking about like a team that some people view on a tier just below Alabama having to deal with those problems from teams that people view as a tier just below Ohio State in the Big Ten, that's got to freak them out because they probably thought that a lot of their recruiting ground and, you know, wherever they would go, the high schools that they knew, they thought those were locks. And the fact that they're going to have to deal with James Franklin coming into town or, you know, John or John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh coming into town, that's got to freak Davis money out. So um, I I understand why he did it. Uh, I don't, you know – I, obviously, the ACC. I think the ACC was probably inarguably better than uh, the Big Ten last year, but they were better yeah. than the SEC too. I mean, that was the yeah, best well, in the country last year. Yes, right. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I get why he says it, or he said he said it, but um, it can it's change. To, on the you you got to beat him. Like that's another thing. So you got to beat him now. I mean, like that's where you're at. Like you know, he's won the last two. You know, right. next time you got to beat him and you got to beat Jimbo when you play Florida State in the college football playoff. I mean, that, that's kind of where you're at. You've beaten Bama, so you've got that. That gets you in there. Um, but he deserves the right to say it. And it's just so clearly about recruiting. And that's it. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Dabo's a pretty good guy. He's good friends with Urban. Uh, it's nothing personal, but they're, you know, all is fair in love and recruiting. Yeah. No, I and it, it makes sense. And if it works, then it works. But yeah. I also don't know how much teenage football players are super impressed by you know the quality the strength of schedule uh in conference uh from the big 10 to uh, the acc i don't know that makes a huge difference uh in their you know estimation i think it's more about the nfl and who can get them there that's it and and but all the all these programs have proven that they can and they're all selling that and urban was kind of ahead of the curve on that uh up here certainly uh let's go to a couple of things from camp um we we ran some clips today on the television show and we we talked about receivers and we talked about offensive line and sprinkled in there though was video of uh this kid wearing number 2 playing running back mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about you know single digits and freshmen and all of these things JK Dobbins looks like the deal yeah. in the video I've seen today and the whispers that I'm hearing from camp uh Mike Weber's been nursing injuries this guy looks like the deal I mean, he really looks like the real deal and like he's going to be a major contributor uh, this season uh, that they're going to. I mean, I saw him with the ones a lot in the video I saw today and, and we don't see much. I mean, we it's 10 minutes, first 10 minutes of practice, uh, but there was a lot of handoffs from JT Barrett and he looks pretty dang good. Uh, and the other one is Chase Young, who's just the defensive. I mean, wearing number two again, wearing number two, just a freak of nature on the defensive line. Young will have a harder time just because of all of the talent on defensive line. But Dobbins, I'm telling you, uh, there's some juice to that kid. Yeah, well, I mean, that this goes back a while with Dobbins. I mean, people have been talking him up for a really long time about yeah. how he's going to be the next like great guy. And, and Mike Weber is a surf- serviceable running back. He's not going to be a you know Ezekiel Elliott, but he might be an Antonio Pittman, which is not bad. I mean, no, you'll take pretty that. good. Yeah, you'll take that every day of the week. But if you have the chance to replace him with somebody who could be the next Ezekiel Elliott, you might do that. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of maybe split playing time, a lot of, you know, or, you know, by the starting name uh, at a running back in some of the early games, especially if he's still a little banged up. 
So I'm I'm really excited about him. You just watch him play. You've seen any clip of him. You yeah. see how electric he is, and he just seems to get how to be a running back, and his vision is just excellent. A lot of times you see guys who are like, all right, I make a cut and go, but it's he clearly has a little more going on um, in his brain when he's when he's run the football, and I think that's really that's special. That's something that not everybody has, especially with that little experience. No, absolutely. Uh, the other thing I wanted to discuss over the weekend was Ohio State reported to camp. And so, of course, us and everybody else, we all go and watch <laughs> these guys walk into a hotel yeah. room. And it's kind of become like this thing. We're all kind of in on the joke, I think. But we all have to do it. So it is, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Um, I have actually never gone to this thing. It was always on a Sunday and I was always off. So I've, I never have gone to this thing. But I've always we've ran the video and I've seen it. And leading up to that on the preamble, if you will, was Saturday when there was some availability and Eric Smith was asked and others were asked about, you know, who jumped out offensively. And Eric Smith, like six times, said little Tate, you know, Tate Martell, mm-hmm. that he jumped out. It's <laughs> hard to tackle. There's lots of factors to that. Tate's not wearing a black jersey, so they actually actually have to tackle him. Um, right. So he can be more elusive than the others. But this kid also is a gamer. I mean, he's got a little Johnny Manziel in him. He makes people miss. He's quick feet. Um how he ever gets to play at Ohio State with Haskins and Joe, who are both kind of waiting in the wings, but everything I hear is that they think Haskins is the real deal. Um, and then Emery following him up. I mean, it's going to be hard, but this is a kid I just wouldn't doubt. And then if you want to talk about confidence, you talk about reporting to Ohio State camp, and Ohio State is the richest Nike contract in the country. Right? <laughs> yeah. This kid rolls into camp in Adidas gear. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, onions, right? I mean, that is yeah. just – and then I heard some sound from Urban like he's got a lot of he – he came in, he was immature as a – you know, in spring and all this stuff, and he's getting a little better. Clearly, Urban doesn't want to give him anything. He's trying to break him down before he builds him back up. Um, but I thought that takes stones to roll into Ohio State camp in Adidas gear. That's a risky proposition. And I'm sure he's 100% aware of, of what of he was course. doing. He wasn't like, oh, I just threw on my Adidas stuff. I, I've totally, I wasn't thinking about it. I'm sorry. He knew no. the camera's going to be there. They all know it is. And I guarantee you, Urban saw that. And I wouldn't be surprised if he had to do a little bit extra after yeah. practice from doing it. I mean, that, off, you, you know, that was a crazy, I just couldn't believe he was in Adidas gear. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's funny to me because, you know, the amount of hype around this guy and as much as I think some people really want to see him be a contributor, not just period, but at quarterback, uh, I, it'll be really funny to see if this ends up becoming like, I don't know. I don't want to necessarily compare him to a lot of like wide receivers past who people have like brought up and said, they're going to be amazing. And then they had a lot of hype and they did a lot of cool stuff and then nothing really came of it, but um, you got to prove it on the field. And I don't know that at quarterback, he's going to get that opportunity. I mean, I, I like that they said that he was five foot eleven. I thought they that was nice of them to give him about five extra inches, um, and and you know boost his spirits a little bit. But yeah, man, I I want him to be successful. I just don't think it's going to be at the quarterback position. By the way, my favorite my favorite check in continues to be uh, Liam McCullough, who is Where's- yes for the past for the past three years has worn so he wore a shirt of himself. Right. It was like a picture of him checking in last year. And then this year he wore a shirt with himself on it, wearing a shirt with himself on it. <laughs> so I really, and, he's, and it's the it's same thing every level. time. He's got the sunglasses and it's, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, it's so that's always level. my, that's, yeah. that's really the only reason why to pay attention to uh, the, the football check-in is just yeah. to make sure that he's got that shirt on. So yeah, there's always a wise ass. Like I remember Jeff Hireman wearing something completely off color and uh, Ohio state, like oh, rushing yeah. to get it covered up. I mean, there's yeah, always that. A, that was pretty good. There's always a little something like that. Um, all right. We got time for ask us anything. Yeah. Let's, let's ask, ask anything. Um, again, you guys can ask us anything. You send us an email to uh, dubcast at 11 warriors.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at 11 dubcast. So we got some questions here. Uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to get in them real quick. So this one's from Alvin. Uh, so let's say you're, you're just out in public. You're out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, I have a story that goes along with this. I'm glad he asked it. Uh, <laughs> What is the proper response for people who yell "Go blue" at you in public? Go blue? Yeah. So let's say you're just out. You're out in the wild. It's never happened to me. Okay. That's so good. I don't. I, I I guess I would just ignore. I would assume they weren't talking to me. I guess. Yeah. So so but you're you, wearing. Let's say you're wearing a high state gear. Somebody with yeah. a Michigan hat comes up on you, rolls up on you, says, "Hey, go blue." 
What do you well, there's one thing that? that rhymes with it that would be the perfect reply. <laughs> that's true. That's I true. Mean, that's the perfect reply. Um, so the story I was thinking about, uh, my fiance and I were up in Michigan a couple weeks ago and we went to the dunes. I, I told you about that. Pretty great. Yeah. Yep. Uh, beautiful place. Uh, lots of ticks, but other than that, it's great. Um, and there was this really nice family. It was like a grandfather and, uh, like a grandma and then their teenage, uh, granddaughter, I assume. And they're out on these dunes and they're sweating their butts off and they're, they're getting to the top of this huge hill and they're, they look so satisfied and happy. And this is great, proud family moment for them. And they asked me to take their picture. And mm-hmm. the guy was wearing a Michigan hat and I took their picture and I took every fiber of my being not to just scream at them like, go Bucks, you <laughs> <Right>. suck. <laughs> like, right. I, was, I was really prepared to be a horrible person and ruin their yeah. fun family moment. Sure. Uh, but I check myself and realize Good that, you. you know, the dunes, I can't, can't be a turd. So what's crazy about that is like most of the guys who played at Ohio state and Michigan, former players are buddies because yeah. who else would understand what it's like to play in that game other than them? You know, if you right. go back like 20 years, the guys who played in the nineties, a lot of them are buddies. Yeah. It's not, it's not some deeply held, like, you know, animosity yeah. where they want to kill each other if they're out in public. Yeah, shouldn't be right. that way with the fans either. Probably no, probably not. Uh, this next one's from Dan. He doesn't have a question. He just wanted to say that when he plays Risk, uh, Risk, he um, <laughs> he renames Western Australia and Risk to Cameron Johnstown is what he calls it. So a great comment. And then he sent me a picture, Thanks so I'm going to include that. I'm actually going to link that in the dubcast. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Well done. Um, okay, so this one's from Joseph. Uh, he's super hyped about the quarterback, so I'm glad we got to get some uh, quarterback uh, conversation for him. But he says, what are some best and worst case scenario for all of these quarterbacks over the next two years? Uh, JT, what's the best and worst case scenario with JT? The best case scenario for JT is he leads Ohio State to a national championship. He's either He wins the Heisman Trophy, and he leaves the school as the most decorated, honored, uh, record-holding quarterback in the history of the school and a top five player in the history of the program. That's, that's pretty good. And that's all in play. Yeah, it is. That's all in right. play. I mean, yes. he, that's what's in front of him. We'll talk about it a lot as we get closer to the season, but that's what's in front of him. Uh, statistically, you couldn't argue it. Wins and losses, you couldn't argue it. He gets grabs a Heisman. I mean, all that stuff is on the table for him. Um, and then he becomes, you know, a guy who plays in the league for 10 years as a backup. I don't know. If, I don't see starter material for him, but I mean, he could be, yeah. he can, he can sell pharmaceuticals in Columbus for the rest of his life if he does what I just said. Um, <laughs> so so that's that would be JT. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, the best case scenario for him would be he has to sit another year and then is unleashed next year. And the absurd potential of that kid is realized. Yes. And he goes on and becomes kind of an amalgamation of all of the great quarterbacks who have been here. Kind of all into one. A little bit of Cardale's arm, a little bit of Braxton and jt elusiveness and and becomes you know the next great urban meyer quarterback the same applies to joe burrow if he were to beat out haskins that would be a similar thing um and tate martell would be the biggest to overcome because he's going to have to beat out the two kids who got a couple years on him um so the best case for him is that he lights it up next spring and they he forces their hand that they have to play him and he's some sort of ohio version of johnny manziel flashing money signs in the horseshoe and that's and that's actually kind of the, what the follow up that Joseph had was, uh, you know, if that happens, I mean, would, would they have to play him? And I agree. Like, I think if he lights it up in the spring, you gotta you gotta play your He'll weapon. Play you can't you can't keep that in your holster if he really is that explosive. So I agree with no, that. No, and the, these are high stakes because people will transfer. Right. Yes. I mean, all these kids aren't sticking around. No, and that's that. Those are conversations they're going to have to have you know, amongst themselves, because when you've got Emory Jones in the situation as well, like, yeah. I don't know what you do about that. Cause that, that is well, a huge log jam. Yeah. Guys will leave. I mean, if, if Haskins wins the job, my inclination would be that Joe would graduate early and he'd have two years to go play somewhere else. I yeah. mean, and he would do that and he would get a lot of looks like he'd go play at West Virginia or Cincinnati or, you know, mm-hmm. bigger. I mean, he could go he play could. places. Yeah. I mean, he really could. He's, I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, same. I would say, I think it's a, I think the same would happen with Haskins. Like he's not going to sit here for four years waiting to play. And I don't know about Martell either. Like if Haskins were to win the job next spring, Haskins is a redshirt freshman. Do I have that right? Redshirt freshman. No. This is his third year. Yeah. I, think. I, would, I would say yeah. so. Yeah. I'm trying to do the math in my head. So thir- yeah. Redshirt freshman. So like, yeah. is Martell going to sit for three years waiting for Haskins? No, I don't think so. 
No. So I think he'd bounce too. And it, and it, it would even be even more in his you know self interest to do that if he didn't have playing time because then you can still kind of you know oh, you've yeah. got all your footage from high school and that's what people are gonna be banking on. Yeah, so. I mean he could transfer to a Big Twelve school and play like Johnny. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Um. Okay. So tell you what, we're gonna do one more here. There's a there's a rather lengthy uh, question about Game of Thrones actually from Tim, and I really want to okay. get into it, but I, I think we can save that. I'm, Tim, I'm gonna push that. Let's push that until the end of the season, the uh, the Game of Thrones season, because that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then we can circle back on that because he wants to kind of do a big overview thing. And I think we can okay. do that. Uh, this one's from Joe, though. And uh, <laughs> it says, Dear Eleven Warriors slash that show I've never seen on HBO that has something to do with dragons or something. <laughs> <dope cat." laughs> uh by the way, I, you know what? I got to say that I am getting so sick of people on Twitter being like, have fun with your dragons and boob show. Like, I don't care if you haven't watched the show. I don't need to have that confirmed. I, I get it. You haven't seen it. That's fine. Yeah, it's okay. On. It's all yeah, right. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. I'm not, I, I don't care right. whether you care or not. Right. <laughs> Clearly, because I'm ranting about it. Right. Uh, I'm with you. I'm like, okay, who cares? Why do you, if you, if there's a huge community of people who do like it and right. they think it's the best thing that's ever been put on television. Lots of people think that, but, but you're not, you're not dumber or less of a person if you don't. And just like the people who watch it aren't any more of a person that they do. Like it's just something, some, a lot of people enjoy. That's it. And it is the water cooler. I know they don't do water coolers anymore, but it is the social media event of, of the year. I mean, there's nothing else that does this. 10.47 million legal viewers last week. In addition to like, 90 million illegal viewers so i right. you know people are watching this thing yeah um anyway this is a really goofy question uh joe says would the football program ever move uh to a different stadium or will they just keep updating it and if they did what would they you know where would it be what would they do with it so i i think that it would be i think it will be in their best interest i don't know how they're going to do it but I think it will be in their best interest at some point because of I think the way we're going to this is actually would actually be worth like a 30 minute podcast. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I do think that it would be. And let's remind this if we ever get slow in the next couple of weeks, because I think it's a good topic. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'll be in the best interest of Ohio State to do something about the shoe, um, because as great as it is, it is a pretty pathetic. Consumer event place right. when you're on benches. You wait for I have I had, I've gone to one game as a fan and I cannot believe what fans put up with there. I mean it's stunning. <laughs> I've only been the media, so I walk in, I walk across the stadium, I walk up the thing, and I go out there, I get you know free city barbecue, and I get to watch you know with Wi-Fi and all and bathrooms wherever I need them. I went once. I went to the Penn State game two years ago as a fan. I could not believe, could not believe how hard it is as a fan to go to the bathroom. How hard it is as a fan to get in the damn thing and then yeah. the seats are just a debacle so <laughs> at some point that will the people will be as i think as this, as this older generation gets older and older and older and the younger generation's coming up and they don't really care about it mm-hmm. because they like having 16 screens and all this stuff i think there'll be fewer and fewer people who want to go to games and they're going to have to and that's this isn't an ohio state problem this is a sports in america problem but you have to do something to get people to go back to the stadiums there's still something cool about big game on campus um, but you're going to have to do something for what the, they're going to charge, what, 200 bucks for the Oklahoma game. Like there, there's got to oh, be yeah, something ridiculous. other than just the atmosphere to, to make you spend that kind of money. And it, it's going to be about amenities. It's going to be about comfortable seating. It's going to be easily av- available Wi-Fi. It's going to be a pl- more bathrooms. Here's an idea. The thing about this, when Texas stadium was built or the new Jerry world, mm-hmm. we were down there for the national championship game. When they built it, they made it, they designed it in a way to where you would there, you would never have to wait for a bathroom or a beer, right? Because they can get it to you in like ten seconds. Like it's yes. just yeah. now they have it. They designed it in a way to where there's always a beer where you could walk right up and get one, and you could always go right to the bathroom without having to wait. Right now, think about that compared to the fan experience at Ohio Stadium. So I think something will have to happen in the next 10, 15, 20 years. I think the thing about Ohio Stadium is that I don't mind the seating as much in general. Like, I, I think some people enjoy the fact that everybody's just, you know, shoulder to shoulder and it's just this huge mob and it's it's this kind of mentally taxing thing just to be mm-hmm. inside the state. I think some people actually enjoy that because of the, yeah. the excitement and whatnot. But man, walking through the concourse, walking through <sighs> the areas underneath, that is so hard in November. I, I went, we went to, uh, 
my fiance and I went to um, the Indiana game in 2014 when it mm-hmm. like there was like sleet, there was like ice on the ground. Oh, I remember that game. That was the whole uh, finale. Right, and it was like two thirds full, like in the second quarter, because people were mm-hmm. having such a hard time even getting to the stadium because traffic was a mess. Yep. And I remember walking underneath and like trying to go to the concessions and stuff, and the wind was just whipping through that thing, mm-hmm. like a wind tunnel. Nobody liked it. Yeah. Uh, and it was just cold and wet and miserable, and it's concrete everywhere. Yeah. They've got to do something about that. I think the facade, I mean, I understand it's on the National Register of Historic Places, so there is a limit to what you can actually do. But I think the facade needs to be updated. It's it's a lot of the concrete's cracking and peeling. And when you're actually underneath inside the stadium, they have to completely renovate that. Um, yeah. because I don't think that's gonna last. So, you know, as far as as far as the question goes, like I, I think there are things that you can do to make it a, a much more livable experience, but I enjoy being miserable. I enjoy being cold. I kind of like I get into yeah, it. The but, right of passage, but, but most people do not, and most no. people do not want to pay two hundred dollars to just freeze their butts off and not be comfortable while they're watching a football game. So I think one thing you could do. I know they brag about the attendance, but I think they should put bucket seats all the way around. That, well, and that's what's interesting. I mean, you'd lose probably ten thousand seats or something, or fifteen thousand seats, but. Every seat should have should be a bucket and every seat should have, you know, like a soft, you know, seat and everyone should have a cup holder on the seat. I mean, that every seat should be that way. They should get rid of the bench seating. And if they lose 10,000 seats, so what? Um, charge more, they'll pay it. I mean, I think people would I guess what I'm saying is I think more and more fans are expecting a premium experience as much as they're so they'll pay more for a better experience. Sure. I don't, no. I just don't think, I mean, I agree with that. I, I, I would feel kind of bad. I mean, I think the ticket prices are, are crazy enough as is. Um, yeah. I don't want to be even more prohibitively or prohibitively expensive for, you know, the average person to get out there and, and see Ohio state, but it's already insane. I mean, <laughs> we're not, you know, we're not talking about a jump between like 35 and 90. It's still like no. an average of, you know, 75, 80 bucks just for a low tier game. So yeah, I, yeah, I mean, only, it's only going to get worse. I mean, the, the, right. the expectation of the fan is only going to get worse. I mean, you see what the new stadiums look like and what people are doing and, you know, like what what's happening in the NFL. I mean, it's just it's you got to keep up with the Joneses. And Jerry said a hell of a standard and everybody's going to have to start to live up to it yeah. uh, or the fans. Just, you know, they're just going to bail. Um, yeah. All right. Is that, that we're done with that? Yeah, that's I, that's can't, I can't go any longer. Uh, we got, OK, so if you don't like the dragons and you don't like the boobs. <laughs> Now it's time to turn off. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. So we're, we're going to talk about it. Um, I have to tell you, my friend, that the last, and there was good stuff in the first 35 minutes of the show oh, on stuff. Sunday. It's great fantastic. stuff. I mean, just great stuff. Yeah. The last 15 minutes of, of Sunday's episode of Game of Thrones was the most conflicted, nerve-wracking <laughs> 15 minutes of my life. I sat yeah. on the edge of the, my chair the whole time. Uh, I, I, was, I was at the same time rooting for Danny, but then realizing she also has Dothraki dogs who are just badass, like yeah. jumping oh, yeah. out the back of a horse and, oh, and shooting arrows. I mean, the, 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 the scope of it was spectacular. And then I found myself going, oh, God, I hope Jamie doesn't get killed. And I think, well, this is a guy <laughs> who sleeps with his sister and pushed a little kid out of a, of a balcony the very first right. episode. Um, then I see Braun and I'm like, oh, Braun, don't God, you got to blow up Braun, Drogon, hurry up. And, and, but wait a second. I love Braun. Braun. <laughs> you kill Braun. That's awful. But at the same time, I don't want the dragon to die. Yeah. Have you ever, I mean, as someone who has been in this world for as long as you have, that had to be <laughs> every expectation you had for the grandeur of it that had to exceed it. Yeah. No, I mean, you, I think there we say this like every week you've been waiting for this moment since the beginning of the show and now you've got these fully realized dragons and you've got you know all these kind of different players coming into the contact for the first time really and it was it was sick it was really really crazy um there were a couple of points towards the end when i was like i would just look at i was looking at my fans, i was looking at courtney i'm like i don't i don't know if i can deal with this right now <laughs> it was right so i had to run it right back Oh yeah, yeah. I watched, I watched it like right over again. Yeah. I said, "I got to see." I what did I miss? Like I'm right. going. I think I missed things. 
My favorite part, actually, and, and I will say this, what I really love about Game of Thrones and what they do when they do these gigantic battles and stuff, they did this with Hard Home and they did this with mm-hmm. Battle of the Bastards and stuff, is they really do a great job of conveying the chaos of, yes. let's say, hypothetically, something insane like this really did happen and there was like yeah. you know, dragons and nice zombies and crap. You could feel how panicked everybody was in that moment. Oh. And the my two favorite parts of the fight were the lead up to it, where Jamie and Braun are like, Do you hear that? Yeah. And they're just kind of looking at each other like, oh no. And yeah. you 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 hear them before you see them. And I love that. I loved how they built that dread. That was incredible. And then I also love Braun just kind of stumbling around the battlefield, like completely disoriented, have no yeah. idea what to do. He just sees fire going everywhere. It was fantastic. It was yeah. really, really well directed. Um, it's funny. I was talking, you know, I was talking to Courtney after this, uh, after the show, and she was really sad. And I'm like, "Why? That was, that was incredible. That was badass." And she's like, "Yeah, but Danny's going crazy. Like, <laughs> Danny's losing it." And well, is she? She might be. I think she well, might. But be. but think of, well, she does like everybody's telling people. her not to do that. She does like to burn people, but at the same time, like she can't really trust Tyrion and and the other dude because and that's true. Yeah, Tyrion screwed everything up. Right. You know, like if if you're in war and she's at war and you have a you know a a stealth bomber, you use the <laughs> right. stealth bomber, right? Yeah. Like these people would cut your head off. I mean, they've they've sent mercenaries to kill you. They've they your parents were you know the whole thing. Like this is war we're in. Like why would right. she not use everything at her power to win the war? That's what she's we've been waiting for was for her to go do this. Like, if you have dragons, don't you use them? Yeah, like, she no, wasn't I agree killing innocent people. You know, she didn't go into King's Landing and kill innocent people. Like, she killed soldiers. Right. right? No, I, I get, I get so, that. But I, I just think this is something that she really, really, really wanted to do. Like, when you, when you have a, you know, when you've got a stealth bomber, you yeah. usually shouldn't be super gleeful about using it. I think she really relished this. And I am really, I am really interested to see next week because i want to see how she handles that whole like the whole aftermath of that because if she's you know like okay this is a military victory cool but if not if she's going like all right this is about recrimination i'm going to kill everybody i think that's going to be an interesting shift for a character i'm i don't know it'll be really interesting to see how this develops i would be shocked if they did that with her if they i mean i could you know there's just she needs to be there at the end so i don't think that they can have her go lunatic here Uh, we just have way too I don't know that yeah. they do. I, I think, you know, again, I'm still, I'm still, I still remember the Red Wedding. I still remember oh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Everybody can die. And I think right. they've lulled us into this false sense of security for about three seasons now. Where it's but they've like, already killed John. Guys. I mean, they killed right. John and they brought him back. So we've, we've already, you John's know, we all, we all said like John's in the beginning, it was, it's John, it's Tyrion and it's Danny, right? Like those are the three who can't die. You know, I mean, you feel like that. And he's already died. How many died. episodes you got left? I mean, like, what's that? How many episodes do you have left? I think uh, within like three episodes of the end, I think anybody could die. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Once you get there, but I mean, we have the. I don't think the White Walkers are going to run the world, so I think there's got to be a victory there, and you need these yeah. dragons, you know, to be on your side. You'd right. think so. You know, they, you know, we saw Hard Home. We've seen the devastation. So to me, like without dragons, and that's how they won the last time right was with the dragons that's how yes. you know that's that's how they did it the last time so that that all has to play into the prophecy well um, here's the, okay so here's the thing the last time the long night what's interesting and they haven't really talked about this in the show at all but uh the prince that was promised forged like stannis's sword was supposed to glow and mm-hmm. uh the way like the hero the ancient hero forged this sword was basically he took a sword and he forged it and it broke. And then he forged it again. He spent like 60 days trying to make it and it broke again. Last time he spent like an entire year trying to make it. And then to forge the sword, he plunged it through his wife's heart. And then that's what caused it to like glow. And that's what, you know, he used to, to kill the Night's King uh, the first time it happened. So the parallels that I think a lot of people are making is like, John's going to have to kill Danny to make yeah. this thing work. Um, that probably won't happen until towards the end, but I would not be surprised if that's kind of, you know, the, where they're going, by the way, I love the fact that Bran is like, you know, basically the system administrator now for the entire like world. 
You know, he like he <laughs> knows everything. He's seen every yeah. he's seen all the chats that people have on the side. He can go through all your emails. He knows yeah. everything you've ever said. Right. Uh, I love how he freaked out Littlefinger with the the whole chaos as a ladder thing. That was fun. Yeah, that was um, great. Everything in, in everything in Winterfell was great. I mean, Arya's return was awesome. Yeah, that was um, cool. That was cool. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of, of there was a lot of great um, pieces leading up to it. You kind of felt like that's how it was going to go. That you'd yeah. you'd have you know some set pieces in the you know the first half hour, and then it would get to the big the big big battle at the end. Um, so do, do you've here's the thing though, and this has always been my this has been my only complaint with this season is um, so did did do you understand it that the gold got back into King's Landing gates? Because I thought that's what Tarly said. Yes. Ran- I, okay. No, I agree with you because I went back and I watched it to make sure because I'm pretty sure it did. I think Randall Tarly said that most of it got back. And then that okay, was so, kind of like the food train in the back. Okay. So the food's eliminated. So Cersei can't feed anybody. Right. Um, but the money's back. So she can pay the Iron Bank. Um, yes. They made such a big deal talking about interest rates and we want to invest and all, you know, all this type of <laughs> right. stuff. So I'm guessing <laughs> like she could even like pay like half of the debt and then, you know, take out another loan to buy some armies from somewhere but yeah get some soldiers the there, there there are tons of like mercenaries out there that she could potentially but what in. are we talking about here like how would they are there that many like are there forty thousand of them i mean there's about Raki, unsullied and dragons right which that's a lot yeah you're you're kind of screwed i mean i don't right like, I mean, I kind of feel like, how long are we going to keep up this nonsense? Like, she can annihilate whenever she wants. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, there's still the problem of the great, you know, Euron Greyjoy with his fleet out there just kind of bringing yeah. havoc, but, which is still a silly plot point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a number of mercenary groups. There's the Golden Company, um, I think, like, the Swarm Brothers. There's about 20 to, I would say about twenty to 30,000 troops that she could possibly bring in. If uh, she had that Rose. type of funds. Yeah, and she's got the ships but to do it. doesn't Dario Naharis work for one of them? Uh, yes, in the past, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, so I could see him making a return. I could see him making a return and flipping the switch. Yeah. So, I mean, that I that suppose happen, that's out yeah, there. Absolutely. But to me, that's all trivial nonsense because the the walkers are coming. And I think the next episode is titled Eastwich, so I think we know what that means. Yeah. Um. But a couple other things. Number one, Danny, if you are going to have a dragon and you're going to take out and you have his ability to take out an entire line of anything in his path with his flame, why would you not just go right up and down the line instead of going across it? Okay, (laughs) right. That was was come on. Let's be strategic. Number two. Now she knows that they have this weapon. So they can't use that weapon again. It's been used once. That's it. Right. It's, didn't they say it took them months to develop that thing? Right, but they were saying they were trying up. To, yeah, it's gone. And yeah. she knows that they have it. So she right. won't make that mistake again. Right, so that's that's Even done. if it's duplicable, that was the one shot at it. Yeah. It didn't kill Drogon. No, it just made him, it just made him mad, which is, that was that was my other thing about the fight that I loved. I was like, oh crap, it's going to shoot it right in his face. And then just I hit was him terrified that he was going to get well, it in the mouth. Then he murdered, you know, 50 people at once. I thought that was pretty great. Yeah. I was terrified that she, he was going to shoot it in the mouth. Yeah. That Drogon was done. And that's where I thought we were going to go to was Drogon getting it in the mouth and dying. And then that would be the end of him, which would have been sad because she hasn't never ridden the other two. Um, Right. Okay. Jamie clearly lives. Yeah. No, he's not dead. There's no way. He's a hundred pounds of armor and he's in an absurdly deep river. Right. (laughs) Sleep Mariana's trench. Right. But somehow Braun, who's not wearing the armor, is going to pull him up and he's going to live. Yeah. I mean, even though he has like a gold hand and all the situ- all of it. And the timing's going to work where he can be underwater for long enough for Danny's entire troops to leave. Like, do you, I don't think he'll be a prisoner, do you? I, no, I think I think they'll escape. I, I think that wouldn't make sense for him to be a prisoner. That, w- that would be a weird detour. I think he'll be able to get back to King's Landing. Because yeah. he's got to have the breakup with Cersei. That's the way, like, you know what I mean? He's going to kill her, right? I don't. I think eventually he's going to kill her. I don't know if he's going to kill her right now um, because it doesn't this really have reason yet. But I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I would be curious to see if they decide to go that far. I, I still think Cersei might weasel her way out of this season. I think she's going to die. I just don't know if it's going to happen this season. 
I think she'll have to too, for the reason I've said every time we've done this chat, and that is there's no emotional connection to the to the Knights King or the White Walkers at all. Right. Right. Exactly. They're not characters. So she, they have to keep her around, you know, at least halfway through next season, in yeah. my view, just so that there's an you know, I could see her having a really big win at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see like fighting on two fronts and her like somehow with yeah, I don't, I don't know what. I don't know what she's got left, but I could see her having a big win to end this season uh, so that you go into next season and she has some power and the White Walkers are coming and it's, you know, you set up for pure chaos. See, and I would love that because that's to me is really fitting in with the spirit of Game of Thrones and, you know, and the books and stuff because you don't, it shouldn't be pat, you know, it should be very like chaotic and crazy and, and not everything works out the way you want. By the way, my just real quick uh, before we have to to wrap it up though, uh, I love that Davos has evolved into the world's greatest wingman. Um, oh god! Like <laughs> he really is a smoothie, isn't he? Yeah, and he's he's my favorite character in the books, and he's definitely one of my favorite characters on the show. That's and uh, he's he's hilarious. Plus the little Stannis throwback with the the fewer comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit as well. So that was cool. Oh, I, I think with the, the biggest thing about Game of Thrones is, you know, we, we get excited when we see a battle and, and certainly some of the battles. Really what you get excited about is just the scope. Like you've just never seen anything on television even attempted like this, the yeah. size of it. Um, yeah. so, so, so that is just remarkable. But really, when you think about a, what is this, season seven? A mm-hmm. seven season payoff for an emotional conflict like you had in a battle on in the last episode. I mean, you think of all of the things you think of the emotional payoff of that episode. Those of us have been with this and I w- I've watched this in real time, so I haven't binged. So sure. I watched the very first episode, the day it aired and I watched it straight through the way that it aired. So it's not like I, I mean, I've had to wait seven years for this, you know, book readers have had to wait even longer. I was going to say, Imagine being a book reader who started right. like 1998 and you're sure. still um, You've waited 20 seven. years for this, right? right. But I mean, like I've waited seven and, and the payoff of like, I remember the first episode, like every part. I mean, you think about like where you were with Arya and Sansa and, and, and Jamie and Daenerys all. Of, and to get to yes, that episode on Sunday, I mean, right. the emotional playoff payoff and the writing the, the groundwork that was laid seven years ago that made that that satisfying is incredible. Like that's really the gift of the show. It's right. not, it's not the boobs. It's not the wars. It's not the battles. It's not the swords or the dragons or any of it. It's that they have made characters. J- George R. R. Martin made characters that are incredibly interesting and yeah. stories that are incredibly back heavy and interesting. Yes, it, the amount of work that he put into cultivating the universe that the characters live in and the characters themselves, like, you know, their favorite foods, you know, how they talk, you yep. know, how they walk. Like, it's it's just really, really fascinating. And you're right, the the payoff, like the meeting between John and Danny, for example, I mean, that for people who, you know, started reading the books back in the 90s, like that, that had to have been incredible to to watch yeah. that because you you know those characters so intimately over the course of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was really cool, and you're you're dead on about that. The the little character quirks that they give each of these guys um, is just fascinating, and it's a just an, like the level of depth in this show just has not been seen before in television. People talk about like Lost and stuff and the mythology surrounding it. They were making that stuff up pretty much as they went. Uh, yeah, this and is anybody who that, watched it as I did know knew that they were. Yeah, it, for Game mm-hmm. of Thrones though, George R. R. Martin has basically devoted the last half of his life to developing this and the proof is in the pudding. And, and while they're totally off book right now, and you know, some people can have some you know problems with that and how the plotting isn't quite as tight as it used to be. And maybe the characterization is a little weird. You still have that incredibly solid foundation. Yeah. Uh, that's based on the work that he did. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, there are a lot of criticisms we made about the books. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but man, it is just an impressive amount of work and yeah. uh as, as much as people complain about how slow of a writer he is it, it's hard it's Dude. hard to hate on him like so comprehensive the amount of detail that's there it's it's really hard to hate on him backstories for everything everything's yeah. explainable i mean it's yeah i mean he created a world i mean you think about the scope of that yeah i respect uh, the hell out of that yeah and you and thank god it's on hbo and thank God that they oh, yeah. have the money for it and that people watched it. And so they can afford to keep making it because when we're almost done. 
Uh, but I really think this thing will stand the test of time. I mean, it will it will hold up the way the Sopranos or any of those things hold up and you or the wire and you say, wow, that's from a television standpoint, there's never been anything quite like that. And it's yeah, got nothing that people, anytime people say to me, I don't care about dragons and night. I say, forget that. It's not, it's politics and it's relationships. Right. Forget the dragons and all that's all cool, but that's not why you love the show. What, what you love is the, is the relationships and the world that's been created and the politics that the game, that's why it's, it is what it is. So what do we have? Three episodes less for this season. Uh, Five, is six, it seven? three or is it two or three? I can't remember. I think it's a seven six, episode right? season this year and a six episode season next. So okay, that might be it. And the last that, that was five, so there's two more then, right? Wasn't that four? I t- I can't count. I'm terrible. I can't. That might have been four. I hope it was four because I want. <laughs> yeah, that was four. You're right. That was episode four. I just looked. Yeah. Up. So there's three more, and the last two are the two longest in the history of the series. So expect a lot. Right. I think they're, they're like an hour and a half, an hour and a half, the last or hour twenty, the last two episodes. So. Those are just going to be monsters. All right, buddy. I'm excited. I know it. It's uh, it's crazy. I basically, I mean, I can't wait for Sunday at nine o'clock. It's crazy how, <laughs> you know, I'm so jacked up about a television show, but I really am. So um, for those of you that hung with us, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, next week we will continue with that. We'll continue to get you set for the open. We're three weeks, man, from the yeah. opener. It's crazy. Uh, so so we'll start to ramp this thing up as well. So uh, good times as always, my friend. I will see you next week. Yep, sounds good. See you next week.